21. And then when we get done with Revelation and the Sunday evening service, we're going to go through the life of Christ uh, chronologically or uh, kind of like a harmonization uh, of the Gospels. So all the events of Jesus' life, we're going to try to fit them all together in a kind of a timeline so we understand how things roll out. That's going to be exciting, isn't it? Go through the Gospels, and I'm so stoked for that. I can't wait. Excited for this morning, Revelation chapter 19. This is an awesome chapter. Revelation, you guys already turned there? That was quick. Let me get there myself. Revelation 19. All right. All right, well, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this beautiful, glorious morning that you've allowed us to have together to worship you, to bless you, Jesus, to honor you, to give you the praise that is due to you, for you are worthy of all of our praise, our thanksgiving. And Lord, now as we just settle our hearts, as we just... Um, focus our attention upon you, upon your word, we ask that you'd speak to our hearts, that this morning that you would do a fresh work within each one of us, as only you can. Lord, you know what we need to hear. You, need what, you know what needs to be done in our hearts, our lives. And so we open ourselves up to you afresh this morning for a fresh work of your spirit, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, so Revelation chapter 19, just by way of reminder where we've left off, we've been looking at this time period that is going to be in the future. It's a seven-year time period known as the tribulation period, right? God will be pouring out His wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world, and for three primary reasons. Number one, God is going to fumigate planet Earth. He is going to remove wickedness and wicked ones in order to prepare for his kingdom. We're going to see that today. His kingdom will come when Jesus returns to this earth at his second coming. He will set up, how long does his kingdom last for? The kingdom reign? thousand years or the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. So Jesus will set up his kingdom at the end of the tribulation period. Um, the second reason is that during this time period, during this seven years, there's going to be a lot of people that get saved. There will be lots of people that end up giving their lives to the Lord. For some people, it takes tremendous tribulation. It tre- takes tremendous pressure to get them to, um, to, to surrender, to, uh, to submit to the Lord and, and realize that His way is best, that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and at the end of the tribulation, something else is going to happen that's very special. God is dealing with the Israels, with the Israelites, with the Jews. At the end of the tribulation... And you can look at it uh, in Zechariah chapter 13. If you're taking notes, go scope it out later. Um, that those Jews that survive through the tribulation period, um, they're going to cry out for Jesus at the end of the seven years. They're going to recognize that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that they blew it, and that they will surrender and cry out to him. And that's when Jesus will come at the end of this seven-year period. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, Jesus coming. Chapter, Revelation chapter 19, very familiar chapter for many of us. Um, and just by way of reminder, also in chapter 6 through 19, the church is not on earth during that time period. We don't see the church at all. Why? Because Jesus is coming for his church. 
to bring us to the place that he's preparing for us right now in the Father's house. It's called the rapture of the church. Jesus will come and take us to be with him in the Father's house before this seven-year period. That is to be a word of comfort. We're, we're called in the New Testament, in the book of Thessalonians, we're to comfort one another with those words. It should be a comfort to us this morning that Jesus is coming to bring us home to be with him, but it also has a purifying effect in our hearts and our lives. Knowing that he could come at any moment, we should live lives that, that would honor him. Lives that, to make the most of the time that we have left, with, with the time that we have left, with the resources he's blessed us with, to make the most of that, no matter how much time we have left. Well, chapter 19, uh, let's start. Chapter 19, verse 1. So it says, After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, or Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants, Shed by her. Again, they said, Alleluia. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who sat on the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thunderings saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So let's stop right there just for a minute. And so notice we're going to see uh, in, in uh, later in verse 11 down to the end of the chapter. That's when the second coming happens. But what precedes the coming uh, of the Lord? What precedes the army? It's praise. Praise is going on in heaven. And it's interesting, as you look at the Old Testament, remember often before the army was, was going into battle, it would be the praise team that led them. King Jehoshaphat, go back and look at King Jehoshaphat. He's going into battle with his guys, outnumbered, outgunned. And what, what, well, who do they send in first? The worship team. They're playing, you know, they're playing their instrument. Praise the Lord. You know, it's like, really? I mean, think about Jericho, right? And Joshua. You guys remember that story? Joshua? Joshua fought, did Joshua fight the battle of Jericho? We sing that song, don't we, when we're little? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho. He, there was no fighting going on, was there? They were just playing some tunes, right? Blowing some horns, do, taking a little parade, a little walk around the city, and boom, God dropped the walls. And that's awesome because the battle is the Lord, you guys. And we're going to see that in this chapter. But what's happening in heaven preceding this amazing event that is in our future, that is reality. There's praise going on. Notice in verse 1, it says, after these things. We always have to ask ourselves, after what things? Well, we see here, we're talking about the judgment of Babylon. 
right? She's personified as a harlot or a prostitute. We looked the last two weeks, last two Sundays, chapter 17 and 18, the judgment of this anti-God, anti-Christ, worldly system, again, personified as a woman called Babylon, who, who seeks to draw people away from Jesus, to seduce people to go her way, the world's way, um, going against the Lord. And so that system will be ultimately judged. And so there's praise going on for these things at the end of the tribulation period. Notice it says with a loud, John hears a loud voice, singular, and it's a great multitude. A great multitude, that's lots of people, but they're all singing with one voice. And isn't that what the Lord wants from us, that we would be one? Isn't that what Jesus prayed, John 17, that we would be one as he and the Father are one. They're unified in their praise to the Lord here. And what are they saying? Hallelujah or Alleluia, which means praise the Lord. And we're going to see that like four or five times in our verses here. Praise the Lord. Salvation. Four things. Salvation, glory, honor, and power belong to who? Who do they belong to? Belongs to the Lord our God. Salvation belongs to the Lord our God. There is no other name under heaven in which a man can be saved, but the name of Jesus. Salvation alone belongs to the Lord. He's the one who did the work for us, didn't he? He provided the Savior. We simply provide the sinner. He did the work and he cried on the cross. It is finished, paid in full. He paid your sin debt and my sin debt in full as he shed his blood. He gave his life on the cross for us and rose again from the dead, demonstrating that everything he said is true. Salvation belongs to the Lord our God. Number two, glory belongs to the Lord our God. Amen? God will share his glory with no man. That's what the Bible says. And God chooses to use people like us, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, right? By and large, misfits. By and large, the weak things, the base things, the are-nots. Why? Because no flesh will glory in his presence. When he uses our lives, people step back and say, there's no other way it could have happened but by God. It's him. He gets the glory. Number three, what belongs to God? What does it say? Honor. Honor belongs to the Lord our God. Respect, reverence, fame, or renown. His name is the name that is above all other names. All honor belongs to him. And then finally, power. All power belongs to the Lord our God. Aren't you grateful that he shares his power with us? Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And I love that because we can look to his strength. Not our own, but to his strength because it belongs to him. It's his and he shares it with us. Well, look at verse 2 and 3. 4, that's a reason word. There's this praising the Lord going on. Why? For true and righteous are his judgments. True means error-free, right? It means without error, dependable. If it's true, it's dependable. Righteous means right on. So all of his judgments, all of his decisions, all of the way that he works are always true and right on. Aren't you glad about that this morning? Jesus always does what is right. That's beautiful. He can never do something unrighteous. There's no unrighteousness in him. That tells me we can rest in his work that he's doing in our lives. 
because everything he does is true and righteous. He is dependable, you guys. Have you found that true in your own life? Has he let you down yet? He will not let you down. He is true and righteous in all that he does. But specifically in context, what's exhibit A? He has judged this great harlot Babylon. That judgment was true and righteous. She got what was coming to her for leading God's people away, leading children away, leading men and women astray, leading them away from the Lord. And we, we talked about that the last couple of weeks, the judgment that came. God's righteous and thorough judgment came upon Babylon. But notice something else. God brought vengeance upon Babylon. Look at why. What does it say? Because she, she killed those that followed Jesus. She shed, because of the martyr's blood was shed by her. And so God took vengeance upon Babylon. And, uh, and there's a praise after that, right? It says in verse 3, there's a pra- praise the Lord. Her, the only thing that's noticeable, noticeable about her now is a little bit of smoke rising. A little bit of smoke rising forever and ever eternally. She's judged. And I think there's a simple lesson for us in that this morning. We can leave vengeance in God's hands. If he always does what is right, is he going to do always what is right in your life? The problem is when we take vengeance, anybody here like a reactionary that likes to take vengeance? We typically go overboard when we do it. You know, you poke out my eye, I'll take two and a nose. And... But God has all, listen, God has all the facts. He knows the truth. He sees the big picture. We see just a sliver, but God sees the whole thing. And in fact, the Apostle Paul, if you're taking notes, in Romans 12, he said to the church, Dearly beloved, you're dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. You know what that means? It means, listen, you've been done wrong, chill out. Chill out, don't move forward. Why? For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay saith the Lord. That's a promise from God. Does God keep His promises? The Lord will take vengeance. You allow Him to work. He is true and righteous in everything that He does. Verse 4, notice this, the praise continues, the worship continues. Verse 4, 24 elders, who are they? Who are they representative of? The church, thank you. The redeemed bride of Christ. We've talked about that many times before. The four living creatures, those are those, those funky looking uh, angelic beings that are around the throne, worshiping 24-7. Also, notice what they do. It says they all, we all fall down. We're going to be in this scene, you guys, falling down and worshiping God. That's going to be an amazing scene. This whole, everybody's praising the Lord. And then all of a sudden, we're going to fall down and worship Him. Worship means, listen, worship means to ascribe worth. It's, a, it's an old English word that means worship. Is God worthy of our... He's worthy of it all, isn't he? He's worthy of our very lives. He's worthy to be trusted and obeyed. And, I, and so everything that we do, we're really we're ascribing worth to God. When we obey his word, I'm saying, Lord, you're worth it. You're worth obeying. You're worth trusting, Lord. I trust you. It also means, oh, listen to this, worship also means to kiss towards... To express adoration, that's the idea, to express adoration, reverence, and also respect, worship does. And it speaks of just, uh, of, other times you just want to give a kiss to the Lord. 
I do. It's like, oh, Lord, thank you. You're so awesome. You're so good. Thank you for, for working in my life. It's adoration. It's, it's, it's like, wow, Lord, you've been so good, so faithful in my life. I've blown it so many times, and you, you, and you, and you still work in my life. You've been so patient with me. Thank you, Lord. I'm such a, a work under construction, but you don't give up on me. Thank you so much for that, Lord. I want to just thank you and praise you. And that's what's happening here. This scene, they're praising the one sitting on the throne, and they say, amen. Look what it says. A- What's amen mean? Is that like 10-4 over and out, good buddy? <laughs> Is that what amen means? <laughs> amen means so be it. Right? Or we are in agreement here on this. Let it be done. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. By the way, that word hallelujah, it's used in like every culture around the world. That's the one word besides no. (laughs) You can use no pretty much everywhere, I've learned. But hallelujah. It's a a Hebrew word. It's a combination of two words. Hallel, which means praise. And Yah, which is the the beginning of, of Yahweh. So praise the Lord. And I looked it up. It also means to honor, to esteem, to cherish, to commend. So praise conveys the value of the Lord. How often should we praise the Lord, you guys think? Like, like just on Sundays? Like a couple times a month? Always? Yeah, check this out. Psalm 113, verse 3. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. How often is that? That's all day long, isn't it? But all that has breath, praise the Lord. All that are sucking air, praise the Lord. All Is he worth it? He is, isn't he? Listen, when you get to know him more and more, don't you fall more in love with him? As you, as you discover who he is, how awesome Jesus is, and who you are in him, it's not pumping up your self-esteem, it's esteeming him higher and higher. He's awesome. I'm a mess. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are living in my heart. It is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Lord, thank you that you would come into my heart, that you would live in me and work in my life. You're so awesome, Lord. And listen, as you begin to esteem him higher and higher, your praise begins to grow for him. Is your praise growing for Jesus this morning? It will when you get to know him more as you walk with him. Is the reality of what God is doing in your life, does that compel you to praise Him and thank Him? As you look back, has He done a work in your life? Are you the same person you were a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, two years ago? I know I'm not what I should be, but praise God, I'm not what I used to be. Amen? Who, I don't want to go back there. I was a, I was a wreck. I wrecked myself and wrecked other people's lives. Lord, thank you for rescuing me. And then you begin to walk with him and you see that he works in your life in a powerful and awesome way. And you look back and say, wow, it wasn't a program that fixed that. It wasn't a book. It wasn't a guru, a guru, a guru. (laughs) It was the Lord. Are you guys with me still on that? It's like, I don't know about you, but like I drop a dumbbell on my toe or something and it's not... 
bleep, 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 bleep. <laughs> it's not, praise the Lord. That felt awesome. Yeah, hallelujah. It's, I'm not there yet, but I'm not what I used to be. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like a course on not cursing when you drop something on your foot. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You guys, you look back and God is gracious and he is faithful to his word to work in and through our lives. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. The psalmist said, Psalm, I'm going to read one more psalm, just a verse. Psalm 147, it says, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. Glorious. Look at verse 5. A voice comes from the throne. And what's this voice? The voice is exhorting everybody. Praise our God literally continually. Um, All you his servants, all that serve him, all those that fear him, both small and great, everyone no matter what size, big or small, no matter what status, everyone is to be included in praising God. It is pleasing to the Lord. Did you guys know that when we praise him? Listen, gossip... Slander, dishonesty, sowing discord is not pleasant to the Lord. It is not pleasing to Him. But when we praise Him, when we give Him thanks, the Bible says the Lord takes pleasure in them that fear Him, in those that hope in His mercy. Praise the Lord. Do you know that praise is contagious? Look at this scene as it unfolds. Praise is contagious. Look at the next verse, verse 6. John hears, again, the voice of a great multitude, so they're unified as, a, as the sound of many waters, as the sound of mighty thunderings. You guys have heard thunderings, haven't you, before? We get a lot of thunder here, don't we? But mighty wa- many waters or mighty waters. Anybody ever been to Niagara? There's a few of us who have been to Niagara. It is so loud, you can feel it, right? When you're close by, it is... Su- Maybe you haven't had the blessing of going there. But maybe you've had this experience. You ever driving your car? You guys ever drive like, and stop at a red light? You're cruising and stop, boom. Look at the red light. Wait, come on. Got to get here or there. And all of a sudden, someone rolls up next to you. And all of a sudden, you just start to feel the music. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. And it's the, ba- the bass is bumping, right? But bass is bumping, baby. All right, here we go. And you can't see in there to look to see what, what, what kind of person is doing this because it's all win- winted tindos or tinted windows, right? <laughs> but that, that's what we're talking about. It's so loud you can feel it. Do you know the heaven's going to be loud? The praise is going to be loud? Some of us complain that our worship is loud. Just you wait. It is so loud in this. It's so loud in that church. Come on. Man, I'm losing my hearing. Good, then you won't, it won't be loud anymore. <laughs> We're just trying to prepare you for heaven. We'll have glorified ears when we get there, though. Hallelujah. The immediate response is what? Praise the Lord. Why? For the Lord God Almighty or omnipotent reigns. He rules. He reigns. There's no one stronger. No one greater. He rules everything. There's nothing he can't do. Praise is God-centered. We give him what he deserves. And when we gather together here, together as a family, we gather and give him an offering, you guys. We give him an offering. The Bible says in the Psalms, praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. 
And so when we gather together, we give him praise with all of our hearts in the assembly of the congregation. Let us be glad and rejoice, verse 7. Continually give him glory, give him praise. Why? Look what it says. For the marriage of the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? Who's he getting married to? Uh, Yeah! Because we are the bride of... We're the bride of Christ. It's so awesome because Paul, in 2 Corinthians, he talks about presenting the Corinthian church as a chaste virgin to the Lord. Just think about that for a minute. The Corinthian church? Weren't they? They were pretty jacked up, weren't they? They were messed up. And Paul's like, I'm going to present you as a chaste virgin. Why? Because when God looks at us, he sees us clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? When we're presented, it's going to be faultless before his presence with exceeding joy, we're told in Jude. Jesus is going to present us to the Father blameless, completely clean, washed, because we placed our trust in him and him alone. There is a wedding coming, you guys, and you are invited. Did you know that? We're going to be a part of this wedding. You know, it's interesting. If you study the Jewish wedding system of ancient times... It's so remarkable because you know what would happen? The father would choose the bride. Does that sound familiar? Is anyone here chosen, by the way, as a Christian? We're chosen, aren't we? The Bible says the father would pay the price for the bride. How did our father pay the price for us? He sent his son to die on the cross for us. But not only that, guess what happens? When that bride price is paid, the wedding doesn't happen immediately. The groom goes back to the father's house. And what does he do? He builds a room for his bride. And he tells her, I'm going to come back. And I'm not going to tell you when I'm coming. It's going to be a surprise. So guess what? The bride needed to be ready. At any moment, at any time, the groom could come. Does that sound familiar at all? After Jesus came and gave his life for us, rose again from the dead... What did he say to his disciples? He said, I go to prepare a place for you. There are, in my father's house are many mansions, many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So now in the Jewish wedding system of ancient times, the groom would come and he would take his bride to the father's house, to the place that's prepared for her, and they would stay, they would stay, they would stay behind closed doors for one week, seven days. For us, it's seven years. And then you know what would happen afterwards? The groom would present his bride to everyone. There'd be a big supper. (gasps) Guess what's going to happen? We're going to come back to this earth with our groom. We're going to read it in just a minute and give you a little sneak preview of coming attractions. And we're going to have a supper. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Isn't that exciting, you guys? Isn't it awesome how it all just kind of fits and works together? God is so cool. Can I say that God's cool? Yeah. And we can praise God for this, you guys. This is reason to praise him. Look at, let us be glad and rejoice. Give him glory. Why? For the marriage of the Lamb has come. The bride has made herself ready. The church is prepared to her. Look at verse 8. It was permitted for what for her to have to put on this beautiful white garment. 
No spot or blemish. Totally shining bright. Why? For the fine linen, what she's wearing, this beautiful garment is the righteous acts of the saints. Did you guys catch that? The good things that you do for Jesus, you will be rewarded for those. Isn't that glorious? And somehow it's tied into this beautiful wedding dress that we're going to be wearing. This beautiful, this beautiful scene. By this time in heaven, the judgment seat of Christ has happened. All those things, all of those good things we've done for the Lord, we're rewarded for those things. Not only crowns, but part of it is this, 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 this fine linen also. We've been in heaven long enough, all the stubble and junk has been burned away. <coughs> and look at the response of John in verse 9 and 10. This is so interesting. Then he said to me, and I think that he is this, remember tour guide angel? We learned about him earlier. He's been kind of showing all this stuff to John. He said to me, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. What's it mean to be blessed? Blessed. Oh, how, oh, how happy. Oh, how spiritually prosperous is the one who is called to this marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. In other words, this is absolutely going to happen. This is dependable, trustworthy, what's being told to you. You need to write this down. You need to write it down and to communicate it. And so, this is glorious. Look what what happens, though. And I fell at his feet to worship him. Is that good or bad? That's bad. Is that good or bad, you guys? It's bad. He does it twice, too, by the way. You guys ever make a mistake, same thing twice? You guys ever make the same mistake twice? Anybody here? He's going to make it in, in another chapter or so. Same thing he does here. He worships an angel. And what did he say to John? But he said to me, see that you do not do that! Exclamation point. He's yelling, see that you don't do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. And I love what he says, two words, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So John falls at the feet of this angel to worship him. Listen, angels are cool. They're awesome. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 1, they were created. Why? They're created to to minister to those who will inherit salvation. In other words, they're at work behind the scenes in our lives in some glorious way. And that's great. But they're created beings. Jesus is the one that created them. And the whole theme of chapter 1 is Jesus is so much greater. Hebrews chapter 1, Jesus is greater than the angels. The whole book of Hebrews is that Jesus is the greatest. He's greater than anything else. And so John falls and this angel's like, dude, get up. Now, get up. Listen, we're on the same team here. You don't need to be doing this. We're to be worshiping in one direction. It's worshiping the Lord. And there's such an important lesson in all of this too, what he says. Not only he says, worship God, ascribe worth to God alone, but notice also, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is so vital. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is at the heart of it all, including prophecy. Any prophecy that moves us away from Jesus, listen, it's off. It's a miss. 
Prophecy should always point us to Jesus. Why? Because the whole Bible is about Jesus. The whole Bible is about Jesus. He is the single theme of the Bible. It's Jesus. And true prophecy moves in one direction, towards Jesus and for his glory. Are you with me this morning still? Amen. And listen, all of our praise should move in one direction too. It's towards him. To praise him. Towards Jesus. And I would say, you look at this scene, and John is experiencing something powerful, something glorious. But don't we experience something powerful and glorious when we gather together and worship the Lord? When we give him praise? John was blown away. But he gets redirected. And sometimes we need to be redirected to get our eyes back on Jesus. We've been saved, listen, we've been saved to the praise of God and to praise God. Do you guys ever come in here and feel like you don't feel like worshiping? Like, be honest. You don't have to be like... Listen, people that are spiritual don't need to act spiritual. We Don't we? Are there times you come in here and it's like, I, I just don't feel like it. Whatever you're, maybe you're going through difficulty. We've got people that are sick in the body. It is a choice that we make. Those are the, listen, this morning, those are the most crucial times to praise God. Hebrews 13, 15 tells us, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. When we bring that sacrifice of praise to the Lord, it's a meaningful time. Listen, it's a meaningful time. It's meaningful to the Lord because He knows what you're going through. And you've made a choice to praise Him and to honor Him. And it will be meaningful to you. Why? Because He will minister to your heart in a special way. He will meet you right there. He will turn, listen, He will turn your mourning into dancing. Because you get your eyes off of you inwardly, off of externally, and you get them placed in the right direction again. You get your eyes on Jesus. I'm no longer turned totally inward or totally outward. My attention and my affection is put right in the right place to Jesus. Are you with me still this morning? This is like an important lesson, guys. And praise certainly prepares us for the word. But it says, the Bible says something else about our praise. You guys know Psalm 100? Listen to this. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. I would say there's a little bit of enthusiasm to that, wouldn't you? You know, enthusiasm means to be divinely inspired. It's entheos. That's the origin of the word. It means to be divinely inspired. You know, I saw some people this week totally inspired. Sitting at Starbucks Friday morning, doing a little discipleship, waiting for the dude to meet with him. And you know, almost every single person was wearing the same thing. Can you take a guess what it was? Astros jerseys, Astros shirts, Astros hats, Astros all kinds of stuff. They were fans. They were fanatics. 
We get excited about our sports, don't we? Aren't we fanatics when it comes to the... Ask, some are fanatics when it comes to the Texans. They'll paint their face, faces. <laughs> yell to their horse for their favorite team. Yell at the TV. <laughs> you, some people even have a little shrine to their team in their home. Can I encourage you this morning? Flip it around. Flip it around. Real praise puts us in awe of God. Of who He is. He's the one worthy of our praise, our thanks. He's the one worthy of us screaming our lungs out. Don't paint your faces and come in here, though. That would look weird. But I would say have a pulse. Be enthusiastic. doesn't mean we need to jump around and draw attention to ourselves, but man, I know some of us are going through difficulties, but that's when you choose the sacrifice of praise. Things are going good. We should be praising Him no matter what season we're in. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the sun to give Him praise and thanks. And so, and what happens? He shows up, doesn't He? He shows up. I love when he, I love when the Lord shows up when we gather. I pray for it every 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 time we gather. Lord, please show up. Please do a work. Please, Lord, show your glory to us. Work in our hearts and our lives that we would that we, that we would leave this place knowing we've heard from you. We've experienced your presence and your glory. If not, it's just a club. We should shut it down. Or just, you know, whatever, play I don't know, play tic-tac-toe or something. Lord, please show up. And when he does, he pours out his presence, and it's awesome. It's glorious. Well, look what happens here as we finish the chapter. So praise precedes the army, precedes the second coming here, the battle, if you will. Verse 11, now I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe... And on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Wow, that's powerful. That is a scene that we will be in, you guys, right there. That's awesome. The Lord coming, his people with him, 
And I think it's important. Some of you, I know, there's some people that come, you know, to, to our services and, and they've never really been taught revelation or they've never heard the difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I just I want to make this point really fast so that we understand they are two distinct events. The rapture of the church is when Jesus comes back and he will come back for his church. The Bible tells us we will meet him where? In the air. We're told to comfort one another with those words that he's coming for us. That he's coming to take us to the Father's house. He will come before the tribulation happens. This is important. We are not appointed unto wrath, the Bible says. Jesus took the wrath and punishment that we deserve for our sins. Jesus will come back for his church, for his bride. Jesus said he comes how? As a thief in the... How does a thief in the night come? Unexpected, unannounced. You have no clue. He could come at any moment, you guys, and we need to be ready. It should, it should bring about a purifying effect in our heart, a longing to see him, to be with him, and it's exciting too, by the way. Second coming is different. When Jesus comes at his second coming, he comes to this earth to set up his kingdom, correct, for how long? thousand years. He's coming here to set up his kingdom. We will be with him. We are in this scene. Correct? He's still with me. And he comes as a conquering king. He comes to set up his kingdom. Listen, and all he's not coming as a thief. All eyes will see him. Chapter 1, verse 7. It tells us, behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him even they who pierced him and all, tri all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This earth's going to be dark, devastated, and here comes Jesus. He's going to light the place up. And every eye will see him. And it's going to be glorious. Well, look what happens here with me. Verse 11. John saw heaven open. That's a good little Bible study. You get a chance to look at all the times heaven opened in Scripture. That's a cool study. We don't have time to look at it today. And behold, check it out, a white horse. Jesus came at his first coming riding what? What was he riding? Ferrari? What was he riding? A donkey. And he comes this time riding a white horse. The one sitting on him, Jesus, is faithful and true. Is anybody glad about that? Jesus is absolutely reliable. He is the real deal. He's not a phony. He is absolutely trustworthy. And I was sharing first service, just meditating upon this. This is awesome to consider. It is impossible for him to let you down. Let that kind of just wash over you this morning. It is impossible for Jesus to let you down. He is faithful and true. He, has a, he loves you. He has a plan for your life. And you can rest. Can you rest in that? That's like ulcer-free living right there. It's like I can just chill out, Lord. You're in control. My life is in your hands. Let's do this thing. I'll walk in the good works you've got for me. And you're reliable. You're faithful. It's impossible you to let me down. It would go against your nature and who you are. In righteousness, 
He judges. He makes all his decisions rightly. In righteousness, he makes war. He does always what is right on his eyes. What were his eyes like? What does it say, you guys? His eyes are like what? A flame of fire. What does that mean? Like bloodshot? Like a flame of fire. It speaks of... You ever had someone that like looks right through you? Like looks right into your heart? That's the idea here. He looks right through. And we put up walls. We put up little barriers, don't we? We put up masks. Don't we do that? Let's, let's be honest here this morning with one another. Because some of us, you know, you're, you're coming to church, you're fighting, arguing. And you come in here and someone says, how's it going? Pray, praise the Lord, brother. Awesome. It's going great, man, when it's not going great. Or you're struggling. You're, you're, you're dealing with issues, health issues, work issues, different issues, and you come in. How's it going? Praise the Lord. Going great, brother. Hallelujah. And really deep down you know that you're hurting. And the Lord is the one who sees right through all of that. And not just that. Listen, this, this is a family, you guys. And we are to be a family to, 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 we are to be a family to those that don't have a family. To love one, we're the body of Christ to minister to one another. The problem is we can so often, and Jesus sees right through it, doesn't he? He wants us to walk in the light as he is in the light. On his head, what is Jesus wearing? It's not a crown of thorns. Many royal diadems, many royal crowns of royalty. On his body, he had name, he had a name written. No one knew but him. Verse 13. Jesus is wearing a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. Have you guys heard that before, that phrase? John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and tabernacle or dwelt among us. This is so beautiful. Jesus is described as the Word. The Word. Hey, if you want to know the Father, look at Jesus. Look at the Son. Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen, the, has seen the Father. I and my Father are one. You want to know God? Get to know Jesus. He is the exact representation, Hebrews 1, of the Father. So glorious. The armies in heaven, what are they wearing? Fine linen, white and clean. Have we read that before? The arm, verse 14, the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Where did we read that before? Where was it? Verse 8, so who are we speaking of here? The church, the saints, that's us. Very important, we can cross-reference it right back to verse 8. We're following Jesus, we're, ri- we're riding on white horses. <gasps> Isn't that cool? Riding, and we're, listen, we're just rolling with Jesus. Are we carrying like AK-47s and do we need to be fully armed? We don't, do we? Because Jesus is just going to open his mouth and that's it, game over. We're just like, that. that's my king right there. <laughs> Hallelujah. We're not, even, we're not even engaged in the battle here. We just get to be participants, right? We get to just ride with Jesus. Is that how you ride? I don't know. Is that what it looks like? Something like that. Because out of his mouth, boom, sharp sword. This is the big Thracian sword. One failed swoop and it take, it's a, deals a final death blow. Striking the nations. 
And then Jesus sets up his rule, how? With a rod of iron, no nonsense. He will not tolerate evil whatsoever. And so he alone brings judgment. He himself brings judgment and righteous anger, the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh. This is so cool. Notice it's indented. It's in all caps. That is not an accident. For you Bible students, you scholars, 95, I think it's 95 original uh, manuscripts of the book of Revelation. Every single one has this in all caps, and it's indented also. Why? It's an exclamation of who he is. It's a declaration of who he is. It's information of who he is. It's identification of who Jesus is. He is the King of kings. There is no greater king. He is the Lord of lords. There's no greater Lord. He's it. The first time he came as a suffering servant, the second time he comes as a conquering king. He is Lord of all. He's the greatest. Verse 17, what does he see next? Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. How hot was that? Anybody know how hot the sun is? 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. I looked it up yesterday. 95 million miles away. I said 95 miles away, first service. And they're like, that's why it's so hot in Houston, huh? <laughs> so here's this angel, he's standing in the sun. I think when Jesus said in Matthew 24, it's, it's going to be all dark when he comes. He's going to be the only one lighting the place up. Maybe because the angel's blocking the sun here. Possibly. What does he say? Look what he says. He's hollering loud. Volume turned way up. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. So this giant, he's got to be a big angel, He's got big, big volume. He says, what does he say? Come and get it. He maybe he's got a dinner bell. Come and get it. What's for dinner? Any carcass is fair game. This is an interesting scene, by the way. Because either, listen, either, either you're going to be at the supper or you're going to be supper. I don't mean to make light of that. That's heavy. Either you will be at the marriage supper or you're going to be the supper. That's heavy. What does he see next as we finish up here? Verse 19, and I saw the beast. Who's the beast? The Antichrist. I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. So the Antichrist has got everybody gathered. Where are they at? They're at Megiddo. This is the, people call it the Battle of Armageddon. It's not much of a battle because look at the next verse. It's like the campaign of Armageddon. Then the beast was captured. It's so like matter of fact. Here's this great army and the Antichrist leading. Everybody's gathered together. And it says, then the beast was captured. And with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image, these two were cast alive into the lake of fire. 
burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Not much of a battle, is it? Isn't it kind of anticlimactic, that battle? But it's so awesome how it builds up. Jesus comes in all of his glory, all of his splendor, and here we are cruising right behind him, right? And boom, what happens? The Antichrist, the false prophet, they're like straight into the lake of fire, which is hell, eternal torment. We'll, we'll talk about that next week. All these armies that are gathered together, boom, they're gone just like that. Game over. Drop the mic. That's it. I think there's something, though, a couple things we need to take away from this as we leave today. Notice what it says in the middle of verse 20 about the beast and the false prophet. It says, He deceived those. He deceived those. Ultimately, those people that take the mark of the beast that worship the Antichrist. Jesus said, though, in Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, His disciples asked Him, Hey, how's the end times going to roll out? What's it going to look like? Remember the first thing Jesus said to his disciples? He said, beware, take heed that no one deceives you. Why? Because as we get closer and closer to the end times, there will be a proliferation, a magnification, more and more people that will try to deceive. False teachers, false prophets. And guess what's going to happen? You know what's going to happen? You guys know what's going to happen. You know your Bibles. 1 Timothy. This is heavy, you guys. It says in 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 4. Check this out. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times or the end times, some will depart from the faith. In the last days, the Holy Spirit is testifying to Paul, letting us know that in the last days, there will be some that ditch Jesus, that will no longer walk with him. What will they do? Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. That's heavy, man. You know Satan, when he fell, a.k.a. Lucifer, he took, how how many angels did he take with him? A third of the angels with them. Can you imagine? Here's all these angels that have experienced the presence of God, His glory, His majesty, and Satan was crafty and deceitful enough to haul in a third of the angels to follow Him. So what are you saying, Pastor? You know what I'm saying? Precious brothers and sisters, take heed and be careful of being deceived. We need the Word of God and the work of the Spirit of God in our lives to keep us on track. Because Satan will try to take you off track, to derail you, to wipe you out, to deceive you, to destroy you. And I'm sharing that because I care about you. I love you guys. Again, I don't know what you read all week or what you watch all week. I get one shot. That's an amen. Thank you back there. I get one shot, sometimes two shots a week, 
to minister, to love you guys and share the truth and love with you and to encourage you and to challenge you and to build you up, to see you strengthened, to be, see you built up in your most holy faith. But some of you guys, I don't see all the time. And when you're out of fellowship, when you're out of the word, you are easy pickings for the enemy. How can you say that, Pastor? Because I have seen it. In 20 years of ministry, I have seen it. On numerous occasions, people that were, man, that guy is a pillar. And what happened? Boom. He drifted away. Started to listen to stuff. Started to, started to buy into the internet Kool-Aid. Oh, because Google always tells the truth, correct? As long as it's on the first page, it's, it's all good. Listen, all, this, all that you hear on the internet is not the truth. This is the truth right here. And you and I must have the truth of God not only in our hands, but in our hearts. And how does that happen? It happens by you giving careful meditation to the Word of God. It means allowing the Word of God to be the most important influence in your life. It's to, and listen, when I say meditation, I, it's a shame I have to say this, but I'm not talking about Eastern junk meditation where you go out into the woods and get in lotus and start meditating and emptying yourself. That's not meditation. Biblical meditation is getting into the Word of God and allowing the Word of God to get into you. It's like a, what's the, the cow chooses what? Don't, don't they have like a bunch of stomachs? Is that right? And they just puke it up and puke it up or it kind of rolls around. That's a bad illustration. I'm sorry, that's a gnarly illustration. That's not good. You know what I mean, though? It's like you're chewing on it all day long. It's not just, you know, I get my personal pep talk on the internet. Someone sends me a Greg Laurie, uh, you know, devotion and hallelujah, see you later. It's spending time at the feet of Jesus. Remember Mary and Martha? Mary chose the one part that would not be taken away from her, the best part. It's a choice you make every day. Jesus said, Mary has chosen the best part, the one part, the part that needs to get put back in place every single day. It's getting our hearts and minds affixed with the Lord and allowing Him to minister to our hearts and taking what He speaks to us and chewing on it and meditating on it and talking it over with Him. That's what meditation is because there's truth and lies flying at us all day, especially you guys in school. I can't imagine going back to school, man. What I'd be saying to teachers. <laughs> but it's like truth and error are coming at us left and right. But God has given us His Word and His Spirit to help us, to keep us on track. We need to be yielded to the Holy Spirit and submitted to His Word in all things. Deception is going to continue to ramp up. You stay close to Jesus. Well, one more thing as we finish, because my time's up. There's two paths or two roads you can go on. One leads to the lake of fire. One leads to the Father's house. Jesus put it this way. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Did you guys catch that? Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. And it is narrow. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I am the door. Anyone who enters by me will be saved. Jesus didn't say, I'm one of many doors. Take your pick. You can have all, you can have all the above. You'll be good. He said, no, there's only one door. There's only one way. It is narrow. Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads where? To destruction. Broadway. Man, it's wide. It's broad. There's many. Isn't that crazy? Jesus said there's many people that are going down that path. Because Why? Because is a reason word. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way. Jesus lets you and I know right up front, brother or sister, it's going to be difficult. And you're here today, you're listening, and you've never chosen Jesus Christ to follow him, to walk with him, to, to, to believe in him, believe on his name, to be saved, to be born again. Listen, if you give your life to Jesus today, I shared this first service and a dude got born again. It was radical. If you give your life to Jesus today, guess what? It may get worse for you. That's not really a seeker-sensitive message, is it? Probably not a whole, whole lot of pastors sharing that message today. But that's what Jesus says. And, and, and doesn't that happen? Aren't you glad he's with us the whole way, too? Underneath are his everlasting arms. He said, I'll never leave you, nor for, even though it's hard. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. His grace is sufficient. Aren't you grateful for Jesus, our helper? Even though it's difficult, it is the best is yet to come for you and I. The best is yet to come. We'll learn about that in a couple of weeks. Pastor, are you sure it gets worse? Remember the two thieves on the cross? You guys remember that? Jesus was crucified with one criminal on his left, one on his right. By the way, that's, that's us too, a bunch of criminals. We committed lots of crimes against God. That's the place we deserved. They were hurling insults at, they were, they were hurling insults at Jesus as they're dying there. As they're, as, they're, as they're lifting their bodies, they're dying of asphyxiation, trying to breathe. They're, they're hurling insults at him, mocking Jesus. And remember what Jesus said as he, as he was on the cross? You can check it out. Another Bible study. Seven statements of Jesus on the cross. But they're watching and listening as he's suffering, as he's dying. By the way, people are watching when you and I suffer, when we go through difficulty following Jesus. And it's a testimony when what's coming out of us is praise and not griping. Anybody can gripe. Griping's not God's will. What did Jesus say? Father, forgive them. Time passes. Jesus restores a relationship, builds a relationship between his mom and John on the cross. People are hurling insults at Jesus. He's not responding or retaliating or being a reactionary, right? He's hanging there. And then the thief on the cross says what? He has a change of heart, doesn't he? Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's saying, Lord, I, I can't bow down my life, but I'm bowing my heart to you right now. You're my Lord. 
You're the boss. I recognize who you are. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I recognize you're a king. you got a kingdom. I want to be a part of your kingdom. All he had was what was coming out of his lips. He couldn't get, get a church membership, get baptized, anything. Remember what Jesus said? Today, you will be with me in paradise. That word paradise, every time it's used, it's used of heaven. 2 Corinthians, Revelation, it's used of heaven. Jesus said, today, you're going to be with me in heaven. That's glorious, isn't it? Changed heart, changed life. That's the promise that we have as we're trusting in Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven which a man can be saved. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? We praise you, Lord. We thank you. We're so grateful for you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for first loving us, for giving your life that we might have life. And God, we pray for anyone here that does not know Jesus today, that today would be the day of salvation. And so, Lord, work as only you can. Thank you for being the uplifter of our heads, for strengthening us, for giving us a future and a hope, giving us eternal life, giving us so much. Lord, we praise and thank and honor you this morning.